How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> Welcome to episode 25 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. And today we're going to talk about non-believers, believers. Reasons why people might choose to leave their religion. So we had a talk from Bob Ripley. He is a former pastor at a very popular church here in London. And uh, he told us about his life after after the church, after he left. And uh, so his career essentially is that he was a pastor and then he retired and then he denounced religion. And it was a huge thing in London. It was a big controversy where people were really mad at him. And yeah, so so there was this big crazy thing that happened. And obviously people within his religious circle were concerned and want to understand his decision and a few times probably attempted to also bring him back. Or just denounced him altogether. Well. Because religion does that. I feel like more people were trying to bring him back. Just the sense that I got from the talk. It, it was more of a comeback to us than a get out, we ostracize you forever type of mentality. Yeah, he, he had examples of where people kind of reached out to him, right? Like either via email or in person to try to rein him back in mm-hmm. i'm just very cynical i used to have a friend who was jehovah's witness and that is like you denounce the people who are not in your religion like it's bad I, i've always experienced they just pray for you they just need to pray for you to come back that's that's at least from my experience oh they say that they like cut off contact with people my friend totally cut off contact with her parents and yeah it was really bad but at, Anyways, uh, he has the article online that I can link on this podcast. And also he has a book that might shed some more light in terms of his life and how he became a non-believer. Yeah, so the book is called Life Beyond Belief, A Preacher's Deconversion. And it's a really good book. I got through one chapter in the time between when he talked and when we're, we're podcasting. It's really good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is it a really personal story or do you feel like it has... Uh applications to other people that they can kind of see themselves in it and you know a general usability of this book i think a general usability i feel like he talks a bit about a personal life and then a bit about why he it's a lot about how he came to those decisions so how people might make those decisions to leave religion it's very interesting so open question to everyone were you guys religious in the past? And did you become a non-believer or were you always a non-believer? Goodness, prying into my personal life. I am. Well, um, I suppose technically I was born Baptist, although I was never baptized. I attended Baptist services for several years, but even before I became a teenager, I think it kind of faded into the background and cease to be a thing yeah my parents uh believed in god and went to church they went to a united church but they only went on like christmas and easter and the big ones whenever they felt like it and then what they said that when i was 12 years old i could stop going because that's how old i had to be to stay home alone and then i stopped going at 12 but like i i have had some your parents kept going 
Yes. Yeah. And my mom cried when I told her I didn't believe in God. It was really sad. <laughs> um, but, like, I've had forays into different, like, religions and stuff like that. Like, people, my friend group and stuff um, taught me about their religions. I had a friend who um, had this uh, religious community where they met and listened to a band. And then they had this, like, really small, intimate uh, Bible study and it was like I was really interested in that one I was like wow this is a really great community like you do really cool stuff and and there was also like a pastor who spoke which was almost like a motivational speaker and it just felt like really positive and I almost got into that one and then I was like no nah, I don't believe <laughs> <laughs> and I had a friend who was a Jehovah's Witness and yeah so I've had like little forays I did some Bible studies with the Jehovah's Witness and was like wow this is not for me I'm very gay and this is not gonna work out so yeah so I've had little forays but I've never really I don't know I've never really believed couldn't will myself to believe what was there something that kind of triggered you to kind of question hey hold on a second there Kenny we didn't hear your story about your background I'm, with I'm, religion. I'm interviewing <laughs> So, so I guess for me, for me, it's, uh, you know, I, my parents went to church. I don't know if I really, truly believed. Um, so I did go to church when I was younger, but I was definitely the type of person that tend to question what I was seeing and hearing. And just when I was just younger, I just loved reading various science books. So it was very hard to equate what I was reading to what I was hearing in church as well. So uh, trying to rationalize uh, Noah's Ark with reality and uh, also trying to kind of equate, um, for example, I really loved dinosaurs when I was younger and to equate, you know, how dinosaurs became fossilized, like dinosaur bones were fossilized versus the time scale of the Bible. It was very hard to kind of rationalize those two. So for me, I. I think I always doubted, and then one day I just stopped going. So that's basically my journey. I, I, I can't really recall a time when I actually truly believed in God, so I guess I've always been an atheist. I feel like to be an atheist, we have to have like a scientific mind, but I never had a scientific mind. I was very creative and very like uh, daydreamy and... I enjoyed the idea of God and things like that, but I think I was very disillusioned when I found out that Santa, Santa was real. Santa's real, children. Turn away. <laughs> I I think I was very disillusioned by some lies that <laughs> my parents told me, and and then sort of was like, well, this is this doesn't sound realistic, and everything's a lie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I, I don't know. It, some people seem to transition kind of without having a scientific basis um, but at the same time there are some people uh, when I think about various scientists there are definitely like scientists that still believe in religion so I, I, I'm always fascinated by how they kind of rationalize that in their heads I yeah. actually have a thought on this and that uh, okay. I do think that there's some fluidity between people becoming religious and non-religious and to some extent, at least, I think it depends on the state that your life is in, whether you're experiencing a crisis, a tragedy, or 
more than anything, impending death is what moves people into the believer column more than the non-believer column. Now, of course, that's not going to speak to every single person who is currently religious, but it certainly seems to me that it would be a motivating, fa a strong motivating factor that when hope starts to be eroded away, don't know where else to turn, and you're staring death in the face, reaching out and clinging to anything, even if it's something that your rational mind, you know, could not accept, can still happen. We also watched the film um, by Tony Campolo. We watched the film called Leaving My Father's Faith. And I was really struck by... Um, so Tony Campolo, I guess, is the father. I can't remember the son's name, but last name is Campolo. And Campolo, Tony Campolo is this big evangelist um, preacher, uh, still believes in God, that sort of thing. And the father, the Campolo father, he has this struggle with death and, and what death will bring for him. And the son is sort of saying, like, this is my life. And once I die, that's it. And I'm going to enjoy and, and really live this life while I can. Um, and the father's kind of struggling with, like, you know, going to heaven and things like that. I wonder, like, I, I always think about when I get to the end of my life, will I turn to religion because I'm facing death in the face and all of a sudden it's really real? Like, I really wonder. So Tony Campolo's the father and then Bart Campolo is the son. And Bart is the filmmaker. Yeah. So that is a good point in terms of do people transition to a state where they are more likely to believe as they approach death? It's like a fear response kind of thing. And, I mean, that fear is likely, the, uh, it's the fear of death. They want to know there's something after death. But I, I guess, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, even if there is nothing that's why life is so valuable and so precious, right? Absolutely, but that's, again, from a safe place of an abstract, you know, still fairly youthful person. We can look at it from a distance and say, yeah, that, that's the perspective I'm going to take. Life is precious. I don't need to turn to religion. I don't fear death. The immediacy of it, I think, is really going to be a struggle, even for the three of us when it comes time. Yeah, but when I think about, you know, I have close relatives that have passed away, and in my own belief, I don't believe I will ever see them again, right? I mean, I care about them a lot, but perhaps someone that wants to believe that they, it, at least it gives them hope that they'll get to see their loved one in the future. So, I don't know, it's it's definitely a big struggle for me to try to, like, put myself in that in their shoes to kind of want to believe that there's this... Uh, afterlife, for example. Well, it's a fair point, too, because probably everyone in this room has experienced at one time or another some kind of tragedy, you know, maybe not yourself, personal, but uh, certainly friends and people in your social group. So, yeah, maybe, maybe the theory isn't as strong as I anticipated in terms of being moved to religion at times of crisis. Well, it, I mean, we say that be, from a It would be interesting to see some stats. Is there statistics on that? On I'm sure there is. Belief? Not that I gathered for this, though. Hmm. It would I be think, interesting. I think people like to be covered. Like, people want to be like, okay, just in case, I'm going to have my last rites read over me. As, or is it called the last rites? I have no idea. When they read the Bible over you when you die. I want to have that. 
Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Little insurance policy, eh? Yeah, right? I don't know. I do think that people get swayed when they get closer to death. I think that people... I think fear is a motivating factor. And does it have to be your death? You don't think, you know, close friends or even family members is enough? It has to be you and your immediate situation? Depends on how much you don't believe. Like, if you still have a little shred of, like, maybe there is a God, then I think that in times of crisis you might reached that and say like oh maybe i'll see them again uh maybe they're looking down on me that sort of thing but i think that if you are rooted in a very atheist or humanist perspective i don't think that you can really go back there but one of the good questions that bob ripley pointed out was you know what would actually make you believe in a god like what would have to happen for you to get kind what of would it take yeah. for you to believe? Yeah, and I believe the what he said was, like, would it be the Red Sea parting or with limbs growing back? Would that do it? I don't know what it would take. For me, it would take his noodly appendages to touch me. <laughs> but, so that's a joke about the flying spaghetti monster. Here's the thing. It's... My gut knee-jerk reaction was to say, well, it's going to take something beyond science. But the problem with that as an answer is science is never set in stone. It's always evolving and developing. So even if something yeah, were even, to occur... For example, even if a big booming voice from the sky came to you, right, you would still try to apply the scientific theory to figure out where is, where is this voice coming from and can I disprove that uh, it's a you know, higher entity? even before assuming that it's a higher entity, if it's beyond our current explanations in science, we'll simply apply the scientific method and begin trying to figure out a scientific reason for it in the now and develop science. We already live in a world where science doesn't explain everything, right? We don't know everything about the world. So, yeah, I don't... I think that... But it's odd that sometimes the automatic answer is it's because of God, right? If, if someone does, yeah. if, if there's some kind of phenomenon that people can't explain in terms of, so for example, maybe someone might question how, how did our universe come to be, right? I mean, that's a question that science is working towards answering, but the knee-jerk response from religious group is because of God. Nothing left to figure out when you apply the divine solution to the problem. Yeah, like, it, it answers everything. And how could that be a satisfying answer for people? It's like, hey, it's magic. Magic solved this. And then you're like, what? What do you mean magic? How did this magic happen? I want to know more about this magic. It's beyond our understanding. <laughs> it's because of God. Is it a personality thing that some people are okay with things being currently unknown and working towards a solution versus some people need a definite answer right now to feel stabilized in their, in their world? I wonder if it's also because, I mean, human beings have kind of evolved to be storytellers, right? We tell stories to try to understand the world and kind of pass on knowledge, um, in our um in our children so you know could this just be a manifestation of our evolution in terms of trying trying to create stories to explain the world and 
being able to rationalize what we're seeing and the place that we live. For sure. I think that's what the Bible is. There's a whole bunch of stories that came together to try and rationalize the world. Yeah, and there were no better explanations. But now we have better explanations, so I don't understand why we're still going back to the stories. I don't know. The other thing that people maybe get from religion as well is that sense of community, right? I mean, we are, again, as human beings, we're tribal, and we kind of want to belong with a group. And, I mean, that's one of the positive things about religion. I mean, it creates the sense of community. and Potentially positive. It puts you into a, a network of individuals who can become a support system for you, absolutely. But when you kind of think about, you know, is there, when you think about non-religious people, you know, there's no equivalent Sunday gathering and singing <laughs> songs. Not here. Not here, correct. Because yeah. I, lived, I lived in uh, England for a year, and I went to Sunday Assembly there, and I lived in London, England, so, like, their Sunday Assembly had, like, hundreds of people, and we all came to this one building, this big, like theater almost and there was singing of pop songs and there was uh motivational speakers and it was like this really cool thing that was the community where I was like oh I finally belong because I felt like in religion I just I was always on the outside I always wanted to be a part of it I wanted to feel what they felt I wanted to feel that love and belonging and acceptance but I always felt like a part like outside of it for for some reason, probably because I didn't believe, but really wanted to believe because I've always I've always been that person who wants that community. That and you just brought up uh, something that I was just reading recently about how religion has a nasty tendency to create boundaries and categories that create a significant population of outsiders. That they have a a very set theory on what is normal and what is natural and things that fall outside of that particular narrow categorization become the unclean and something that needs to be converted into the pure, normal, and natural light of the religious modus operandi. There's definitely an exclusivity to religion. When I was studying with my friend who was a Jehovah's Witness, I got to go to certain community gatherings with her, but certain ones people who are not baptized as a Jehovah's Witness are not allowed to go to. And you're like, oh, I want to go to that secret ceremony. Like, what is that about? Maybe I'll like this religion if I get to see that secret ceremony. That's how you should have sold it. Maybe if I give a little, get a little sample, <laughs> I'll join. <laughs> Always have to get that sample. Put your toe in a little bit. <laughs> I find it sad, though. Like, I don't, I wonder if there are people who don't believe, but who feel that, excluded feeling and just want to be a part of it and so they just go and uh, there has to be i mean the statistics kind of show the percentage of non-believers is kind of increasing each year right so uh the, there's this growing population segment that maybe doesn't really get the same um closeness and sense of community as people who are religious um, but at the same time, I can also think of there, there are definitely examples of people that are religious and uh, maybe a little too crazy to be in a community. And 
and kind of I think they're themselves. everywhere though. I think there's like non-religious people who do that as well. Who are maybe a little bit too yeah. crazy to So maybe that's I mean that's a different conversation and segmentation of the population, but in terms of uh forces, I'm going to come at this as a bit of a sociologist right now and just get you two's take on a couple of theories that I encountered on why people might be moving away from religion. Uh, the first one was called the strict churches theory, and that's that, paradoxically, churches have loosened their, their grip and their boundaries. They're not putting as many hard and fast rules on who qualifies to be part of certain religions. And because they've become more flexible, people have felt less committed to it. Do you think they are less flexible? I don't think they are. What what would be an example of less, less flexible? Like, are, are you trying to say because they're so much more open to like uh, people converting and joining? Even say if we take the example of attendance, like say attendance at one point was absolutely mandatory. You better be there every single Sunday, double down on the holidays, that sort of thing. But now churches are a lot more okay with people showing up once every couple of months or, you know, just kind of being on the periphery, but still sort of involved with the church. Could it also be a function of um, kind of population and kind of where it is? Because I can envision if you were in a small town, like uh, let's say Listowel, and where everyone knows each other. If you were don't, you, did you grow up in Listowel? Is that why no, we use that as an I, example? This, this <laughs> may this may be an example. In real life, uh, from someone. Okay, okay. So hypothetically, you're growing hypothetically, up in Listowell. <laughs> if you're growing up in Listowell and you don't show up in church, people know and people gossip. And I mean, you're in a small town; you just cannot get away from it. Versus if you were in a church in London, Ontario, for example. I mean, if you miss it, miss a Sunday, you might be able to get away with it. No, that's a really interesting point, and kind of makes you wonder whether. The growth of cities has had something to do with the the downturn of religion. Uh, Sherry, what do you think about uh, this strict church theory and how they've loosened up? I mean, I know you already said you don't really feel like I they've loosened they loosened at all. I don't think they loosened. I mean, I, I sort of thought of examples of like the Pope and how he's like, we'll accept gay people, but we don't like that they're gay. But now they can come to church. <laughs> we still don't like them, but they'll come. <laughs> so I, I don't think that's anything. Like, I feel like that's like, I don't know. I don't think that's changed at all. I don't think that they have changed. I think that they tout this idea that, oh, we've changed and we've become so much more progressive. And I don't think they have. I, I think they've maybe loosened the rules and a little bit because I can just envision, okay, maybe hundred couple hundred years ago, I mean, the certain penalties for certain sins are quite severe versus now it's kind of a little more, we'll, we'll love this, you know, we'll love the sinner, but not the sin kind of attitude versus uh, trying to impose some kind of punishment. I guess if we're thinking of 200 years ago, then yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. We still all have all of our appendages. We haven't lost any through the course of growing up in a non-religious mindset. And I haven't been stoned to death, so. That's a plus. It's a plus. I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful to God for that. <laughs> I've got uh, another. Praise her. <laughs> Praise her. <laughs> another theory that I'll, uh, I'll hit you guys with, and you can tell me if you think this one holds a little more water than strict churches, and that is the political alienation theory. 
and that is that churches are losing sway, especially with younger populations, specifically because they are ostracizing groups like the LGBT community and creating divisions that people don't necessarily believe in who are younger. I can definitely see that. Like, uh, if you kind of think about the younger generation, they're definitely a lot more accepting of uh, home, basically LGBT. Uh, they're more accepting of different cultures, different religions. They kind of interact with uh, people from different countries, and they have this much more broader view of the world. And uh, some it, kids. I think we're still uh, talking. If we're still thinking about our Listwell example, like smaller towns, sure, sure. I feel like don't get that, you know, exposure quite as much. Yeah, of course. You're yeah, you, to... you get to see a lot of kids, so <laughs> you yeah. forgive us the broad trends that, no. uh, that we're bringing. <laughs> so I think that applies to some, but then like then those small communities, those small towns and stuff. So I went to a country high school, and they had like a religious club, and they would pray every morning. And that was normal. And so I think that these these small communities still hold on to religion in a way that the towns or that the cities don't. But the media must be infiltrating. I, I, I mean, TV shows are um, more inclusive of different people. Yeah, different a lot cultures. more liberal yeah. in the media, for sure. Oh, I, I feel like a, the media would definitely be starting to poke a little, a few holes into those uh, communities. Yeah, possibly. Still, I feel like our, our big cities theory is, is standing tall at the moment. Any more thoughts on uh, political alienation? It, it can't just be the, you know, the anti-LGBT thing as well. There must be other ways that religion is pushing people through politics. Do you think this. the abortion divide oh, is one that pushes yeah, people away? Sure. Or do you think it makes people stand more firmly? Oh... <laughs> I finally made a good point in this podcast. Because <laughs> I feel like people double down on those beliefs. Yeah, I need to know. I need to know the stats on like people's belief in abortion. Like, have they actually changed? Yeah, that's that's a tough one because it it definitely seems like it could be a rallying issue or a, a push you out of religion issue, depending on who you are and what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd have to go with Kenny. We need some statistics on this. Because it's hard to say because, again, I'm I'm in a little bubble. And so I kind of surround myself with people that may be a little bit more liberal thinking. I'm not sure the opinions of Listowell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're picking on Listowell today. I hope we don't have any people who listen that live Listowell. in Listowell. Sorry, Listowell is a really beautiful town. I really like it. <laughs> And I'm actually driving past Listowell to, on this weekend, so please don't stone me. <laughs> well, here's another little uh, tidbit that I got from this same thing that I was reading to gather information on these theories, and that's that uh, that the number of non-religious people itself has just gained like a critical mass to the point where the social expectation has to erode because they don't have the force of people who are religious versus non-religious to pressure us into being religious anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even though the population of non-religious people are growing, that the representation of that in media and our politics doesn't quite reflect that. I mean, you think about all of our 
leaders that we see for various countries, especially countries that maybe are predominantly Christian, they always tend to be religious and they always tend to tout it, right? Oh, yeah. It would still be political suicide in the States to declare yourself an atheist while running for president or any kind of political or office. Any, I don't, like, I don't think there are any major, like, uh, atheists in even uh, the Senate or anything like that. No, probably not. Religious people are so loud. I think that's the issue is that they they find themselves to be much louder than non-religious people and then they're able to get what they want. It's interesting. In uh, Bob Ripley's book, I was reading about his career um, and he actually served as uh, sort of a delegation to uh, speak with the prime, prime minister of the day about political issues. So he was part of this like group of pastors that would talk to prime ministers and like sway their opinions in different ways. I think that's that's kind of ridiculous that we have the separation of church and state and yet we have these political leaders who are meeting with pastors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's almost like you need to do that, especially, especially I guess, in terms of how people elect their leaders right now it's kind of like an expectation which doesn't quite make a lot of sense but talking about like separation of church and state i mean i'm curious to see what you guys think about like in quebec they wanted to ban these religious symbols and Mm. places uh, uh, like public uh offices and things like that but it's just for me it was a little odd that they seemed a little bit targeted in terms of (laughs) Which religion they want to ban? Given mm. they, it's a it's a very Catholic uh, mm-hmm. province. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, should, that... should should these public spaces, if you're a public worker, should religious symbols be banned off of your body? I mean, one of the religious symbols was a scarf, though. Like, you can't wear a hijab. Like, I think that's silly. I don't know. The Muslim people, the Muslim women, do that so that they can cover their hair because. Um, they don't want to expose themselves to men. So, like, that puts them in a really vulnerable position if you're saying you can work in office, but you have to expose yourself to men, which is something you don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, like, for me, would it just make sense? I mean, this is a personal choice, right, whether you believe in a certain religion or not. But at the end of the day, as long as you're you're not a public worker trying to actively recruit someone... (laughs) as they're trying to get their driver's license. I think that would be a a, uh, a no-no, right? Why can't you wear what you want to wear? I don't know why we're policing these things now. As, as Kenny said, too, it's very targeted. And uh, so I think it's quite targeted in terms of which religion yeah, they want to I didn't ban. hear much about Quebec wanting to ban crucifixes. Or... Exactly. Mm. Like if, if they truly did believe that that stands, anyone wearing a crucifix, I mean, they got to take it off. Mm-hmm. One would follow, but not in this particular instance. I think there's a bit of a grayer area around something like the kneecap, which was banned in France, um, where it completely covers your face um, so you're not really seen at all. So that, I don't know, I guess the idea is, and I feel like this is such a racist idea, but that you could commit a crime and nobody would know it was you. And that makes the assumption that people who wear the kneecap are going to commit crimes. So that's very racist. But but... but I think maybe, uh, let me try to maybe put uh, another view on that. I mean, should we 
try to promote not having the kneecap, making the assumption that maybe someone may not have really chosen to put that on. It gets into this like gray area where I don't really know how to navigate because I technically a, a woman could choose to wear a full uh, kneecap, but yeah, how a, would you know exactly? It's a strange thing because you don't want to push too hard and become like the force who's you know, telling them to strip away this religious icon that maybe they do believe in and want to wear versus, well, believing they were pressured into it and, you know, be free, take off this this religious nonsense and uh, join us in the, the realm of just wearing whatever you please. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how to navigate that road other than case by case, person by person. Yeah. For me, it, it's good that there are organizations uh, like the, the ex, ex-Muslim organizations. Uh, there's one in North America, ex-Muslims of North America. They actively promote um, a secularism and kind of show examples of how they converted. So kind of, they do talks trying to kind of get the word out that you know it's okay to leave the religion, even though it could be punishable uh, in some ways. But I, I think helping create that visibility at least helps move people along towards accepting other options other than just growing up in a religion and staying in that religion because they feel like they have to. That's a really good point. As long as it's been promoted that the choice is there and that you're free to make that choice at any point, then I think that's really what matters more than creating specific laws to give a one rule catch all type of scenario. I think that helps a lot as well, giving people the choice, specifically women. So once once those women leave the countries that they're in that force them to wear possibly a niqab, possibly a hijab, uh, and come to Canada where they don't have to wear that, I feel like people are much more likely to uh, deconvert from their religion because they understand that, oh, now I have that choice instead of being forced into it. And now we don't know where to go from no. here. I'll bring in another sociological figure, a juggernaut, actually, who had something to say about religion that I'm sure you've all heard before. Our old friend Karl Marx, who uh, coined the term that religion is the opiate of the masses. Do you think that to some extent people are seeing religion as a system of social control more than a community, and so it's something that they want to break away from for that reason? I don't know if people want to break away from it. Don't you feel like most people... For the ones who have chosen to become non-believers, do you think it might be an angle, some a factor in people's minds? You know, not for the, the hard converted who love the opiate and would just keep taking the opiate for as long as they live and will do so. It's difficult for people to kind of break away from it. I mean, the example goes to like Bob Riley. There's you spent so many years developing this community, and it's and especially let's say you come from a religious family and you're young. I mean, you don't want to lose. You have you feel like there's a risk of losing your family and your community, and it goes back to your tribalism and you wanting to be part of a tribe and not wanting to lose that. So it's it's such a powerful hold on us because of our um, human evolution to need to be, you know, in a community. So that, that's why I feel like, I mean, that's why humanist organizations are so great. I mean, it, uh, it gives people another opportunity to form community uh, without having to believe in something that you might not 
actually believe in. I did some research on the pastors who leave religion. I find that very interesting because you've made your career out of being a pastor and this is your job. Your job security relies on this, your mortgage payments, whatever. And yet there are people out there, there are pastors who don't actually believe in God who are still preaching because that's their job. I find that very fascinating. It's a very strange job, which rely, like which requires you to have a very strict belief. And then what other jobs can you think of that have like a belief system that is impacting them so much? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that that goes to a lot of potential. What do you say? Some certain corporations have fairly cultish beliefs. That well, they yeah, I, I was going to mention, like, so let's say you worked in the oil and gas industry. I mean, you are, this is your livelihood, right? Uh, the, the moment your livelihood is threatened, you're not really going to try to do anything possible to kind of destroy your own uh, livelihood. So uh, I, I can understand that. I can understand why if you were a priest and you suddenly, um, decide, uh, suddenly figured out that you don't really believe in God, there are a lot of uh, external factors that are preventing you from leaving. So if you were, for example, working in the oil and gas industry and you do believe in climate change, it's going to be hard to, like, Get out of it. I mean, you have, let's say you had a family to support. Uh, this is the only job you've ever known. You're living in Fort, uh, Fort McMurray. And I mean, what are you going to do? Right? Mm-hmm. I found it interesting in the uh, movie we watched, the Leaving Your Father's Faith movie, where Bart Campolo actually became a humanist chaplain at a university. I think he, he kind of saw this. Um, he was very, I guess, entrepreneurial maybe and saw this this you know, gap in the workforce that he could kind of fill. Uh, so he's still kind of a, he's a, he's a preacher almost, but he's a humanist one. So is it just mainly motivational then, the stuff that he presents? What does a humanist yeah. preacher mean? I don't know. I think he provides guidance. I have no idea. I what does he preach? <laughs> Love and happiness and, and being okay with not being in a religion. I think. I can see that. Do you think more university campuses need something like that? Does Western have something like that? Gosh, don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so yeah. unaware of the different groups. As you're wearing a Western hoodie. <laughs> and have been affiliated with the university for many, many years, but know nothing about the groups and affiliations beyond my immediate small sphere. Yeah. Wow, there's too many gross little students there, so. (laughs) How dare you, sir? How dare you? (laughs) You're not one of those undergrads, right? (laughs) Oh, you're speaking... I'm talking about the undergrads. undergrads. Come on. (laughs) In their Ugg boots and their Starbucks coffees. (laughs) So judgmental, both of you. (laughs) I was just joking. (laughs) I may or may not be joking. (laughs) Well, to spin us back to another... uh, great figure in the the views espoused about religion. I've got one more, and that's uh, Richard Dawkins, who said that God and faith are both viruses of the mind. Yep. Agree and or disagree? It, it spreads like a virus, does it not? It's, I mean, it's passed on over and over again, and if you don't have any rational input into 
into this mind virus, I mean, it exponentially just grows. So, yeah, if you're not careful, it can sort of expand and and sort of take over everything without you noticing. Uh huh. Well, if that's the case, do you think that a person could uh, succumb to religion? That despite holding anti-religious views, that if they were steeped in a community that is highly religious, do you think that they would give way and eventually? Maybe, maybe to survive, because I, I feel like, I mean, you know, think back if you were in a small community, if you were a priest, I mean, in order to survive in your community, you may have to play the part, right? that this mind virus analogy makes sense it it just gets passed on and on and on throughout the ages and trying to get rid of that is pretty difficult because of this uh if you're not part of this collective uh, thought process it could potentially kind of risk your livelihood it could risk your you know ability to form relationships with people etc even as a common citizen being refused service by different establishments that have decided we only serve clientele who hold a certain belief system mm-hmm. or are not part of certain ostracized communities. Yeah, I mean, we've seen examples, at least on the LGBT community, where people are denied services, right, because of religious beliefs. My mind goes whirling back to, wasn't it a it was a cake incident where a, a cake baker refused to make a cake for... For a queer couple, I couldn't can't remember if they were. They were getting married, mm-hmm. and they wanted a cake, and the baker said no. Mm-hmm. Where was that? Was that a, a local story, or was that uh, just something that blew up? In I the feel news? like that was in the U.S. Was it in was US? in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to your idea of like a virus, I think that's why we have cults. Like people, if you want to believe bad enough, I think that you maybe convince yourself of something. You know. Like, there are so many people who get stuck in cults because they see this community and they see this gathering that's so full of love and and hope and, you know, something that they need in their lives to fill this hole. And so they'll they'll do anything to believe in what what the cult is believing and and cults get so many people. And the odd thing is people don't realize they are in the cult Mm -hmm. when they finally actually get into a cult um so there's a, a interesting documentary on netflix uh, by vox explains and they kind of did an episode about cults but it's it's really interesting that people don't actually realize that they are in a cult when they have finally been recruited into a cult i find cults very fascinating because the things that people would be persuaded to do it's amazing that because they're surrounded by these people who you know, believe so deeply the same things that they'll just be persuaded into doing whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, a question in terms of how do you convince someone, you know, like Richard Dawkins, he's been known to maybe have a more harsher tone when he's talking to people about his own beliefs and also when he talks to uh, believers. I mean, does it take this like harsh tone to like get it through people's heads or do we need to like coach them and handhold someone into into becoming non becoming non-believer or or basically giving them an option to think a little harder so it's an interesting 
interesting question because you'd think on the face of it there's so many things that just seem flatly insane in religious texts that it I think even our guest speaker said that you can't just point out facts to a believer because it's not about facts, it's about belief and faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, what was our original question? So, so I mean, what, what would be the right approach, right, to try to... Uh, how to coach them. Coach yes. people along to kind of maybe, uh, as a, a proponent of uh, the Freedom Dividend, you know, make America think again, that's a slogan, so... How, how do we make people think again? I think the idea that we should be converting people to humanism is just very flawed. I don't think that, I think people, when they believe something, they are going to find every way to believe it, and there's no But if you kind of think, you know, what would be the ideal world in terms of having people being able to think critically? I mean, it's not necessarily to, like, convert them, but how do we kind of raise the consciousness of people to kind of think a little more in terms of what they believe in. I think it might be beyond individual or even small collective control. I think the institution itself, which is in decline already, the institution of religion, it just has to be allowed to naturally fade from importance. And that's what's going to probably shed the most believers into the non-believer category. Do you think that's possible that one day it will just sort of fade from importance? Because I don't think so. Absolutely I do. I think it's already lost an enormous amount of its significance just in the course of a few centuries. So if we predicted that it would just continue along the relative trajectory that it's on, then it's on a collision course with unimportance already. I don't know. There's still a lot of people that believe the world is flat. Yeah. <laughs> that That is part of the, uh, the counterwave of right-wing populism, which will hopefully also abate eventually and fall back into the realm of reason and compassion. Uh, I don't know. Compassion. Now, now the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm losing hope. <laughs> I just don't think it'll ever fade completely. I think that there is something in... I think there's something in human nature where some people just want to believe. It's their instinct to want to believe. Okay, sure. But even if that um, that innate need to believe were to endure throughout all of human history, which is distinctly possible, the idea of organized institutions for religion, I think, may still fade away even in spite of that innate need to believe in something, that people will just simply cease to need the collective, formal institution to affirm that belief. I I think another stat that we should definitely look up would be um, if we had a good understanding of the revenue basis of churches to kind of see whether it's actually increasing or is attendance decreasing or increasing. I mean... That's that would be a good indication of whether um, people are just not convert or not uh, either converting or 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 exiting the church. I wonder if uh, if attendance is decreasing and whether the the faithful are being asked to commit a little bit more of their resources to uh, to make up the difference. I don't know. Lots of questions that are beyond the scope of what we, the facts we all hold in our heads currently. I think, you know, we think of 
I think we're thinking of religion as Christian right now in that people are stopping going to Christian churches. But I think that they're still going in great numbers to Muslim mosques and Jewish temples. Yeah, I mean, there are over a billion Muslims. So, yeah, I mean, I I can see, you know, perhaps uh, Christianity kind of decreasing in the number of believers, but Muslim believers, I don't know. Hard to tell. I just can't picture a world where we don't have religion. I just don't think it's possible. That's why I don't think it's going to fade away completely. I think we will always have something. Is that good or bad thing? I don't know. Maybe when our alien uh, invaders come and take over, we will join their religion. The flying spaghetti monster. That is what is the one and true religion. Mm. May his That's what we're going to tell the aliens. Touch you. Especially if the aliens happen to have like tentacles everywhere, <laughs> then they'll they'll totally dig the idea of the the pasta monster being our our one true god. So the history of the um, flying spaghetti monster is basically there was a school trying to um, promote creation, uh, not creationism, oh, uh, intelligent design instead of evolution. So they decide uh, some scientists decided to come up with their own religion, the flying spaghetti monster, uh, as a uh, way to kind of counter-protest, to uh, point out how ridiculous it is to try to insert religion into science books and and science curriculum. That brings up something that I don't know if I've uh, I've touched on yet, and that's probably the force that puts me in greatest opposition to religion in my life is whenever I hear a story about how a religious group is promoting values that are opposed to scientific progress, such as declaring that stem cell research is an affront to God and cannot be done, or that cloning organs cannot be done because you're stealing into God's domain. That kind of thing just makes my blood boil and definitely sets me in opposition to those people who are taking a stand against progress. It makes my blood boil when I hear about the creationism evolution debate that goes on in schools in the u.s and how teachers are like you know tiptoeing around this idea that they have to teach science versus god like it's just a strange concept and i oh it kills me yeah i I mean this is where i find it odd because science is not on a mission to destroy religion i mean science is on a mission to just expand knowledge and but for some reason, religion feels so threatened that they have to try to insert themselves into science and try to essentially destroy the scientific method. Yeah, throw up roadblocks at the very least. They're oh. yeah, and you know, in the past, science and religion have been able to coexist, right? I mean, there's a uh, there were people that believed in religion; they did their thing, but. Uh, no one intruded on the science and the progress of science. So uh, this goes back to, I mean, there needs to be appropriate separation here um, and let science do its thing. Although Darwin and Galileo were kind of looking at you sideways when you declared that. I know, uh, I was just thinking the same thing. That there hasn't been that many conflicts. I mean, okay, well, when the Earth isn't the center of the universe, uh, where maybe, there's a problem. Okay, maybe in the last 50 years. Maybe there weren't <laughs> as many conflicts. Back in the Galileo days, religion dominated everything. I mean, like, <laughs> you could do something wrong and get, you know, um, stoned to death. 
really the religion's height or heyday of its force of impacting social issues mm-hmm. is Galileo's day into Darwin's day and a little bit into the start of our, not even the start of our, I, have, I can't say that because I'm a child of the 80s and so I still think of this century as being 1900 to the year 1999, <laughs> but that is not the case anymore, so... <laughs> Welcome to the year 2000. <laughs> the turn of the centuries. <laughs> Keep your religious fingers out of science. Yes, it would be nice if, if religion didn't have any sway or any pull to stop, hold, or impede scientific progress, but it, it seems to find a way to do it. Yeah. And if you think yeah. about it, in the last, you know, 20 years, climate change. We like people didn't believe in climate change, and I think that's kind of because of religion. I think that religious people got their fingers in and were like, "No, this is just the planet, and God will take care of the planet." And that oh, I hadn't kind of heard this one before. So, so we're I, all I, in. I've heard this argument before, which is it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, you're going to need to share. I didn't know that uh, that God had a divine plan to cook our planet through greenhouse gases. No, no, no. no. He's going to take care of our. No matter planet. what happens. God will take care of us. Oh, so it's okay that we keep polluting and acting like little exactly. piggies. It's it's all good. Yeah. I get God it. will save us no matter what. Okay. But I think that even religion breeds this distrust of scientists. Like they don't know what they're talking about and they're they've got these ulterior motives and things like that and I think that's It's because they feel threatened. Like I, yeah. I mean that's the reality, right? I mean they're they're th- threatened by science. Um, and going back to things that uh, irk you guys and uh, irk me, uh, I, I, I've always wondered whether doctors are, are kind of pissed when, you know, they save someone's life and then they say, thank God. What do you mean, thank God? Like, I, I'm for the years one. for this. Exactly. <laughs> I'm the one that kept your heart pumping. I was the one that gave you the right drug. Thank God. Is God on the call sheet here that, <laughs> that that helped you and nursed you <laughs> yeah i wonder about that as well like so i have really religious family uh on my mom's side my cousins and aunts and uncles and things like that and my cousin often posts on facebook saying like you know god has done so many wonderful things for me and stuff like that and i kind of think to myself like you did a lot of good things for you though are you not going to take credit for you know she's she's on a diet right now and she's thanking god for it and for, you know, the strength that he's given her. And I was like, but no, you had that strength. You, you brought that strength forward. Like, you got to own it. Yeah. And then if something bad happened to you, I mean, are you also going to blame God or are you going to think you did something wrong? What is it that religious people say to that, though? They usually just say, like, oh, God is testing God you. has a plan. God works in mysterious yeah. ways. And that God will never give you anything that you can't handle. I've heard that one before. Until you die. I don't know. Yeah, that one doesn't seem very true at all. (laughs) Until you die. (laughs) Well, then you can't handle it. And then I guess that's it for you. Welcome to God's domain. (laughs) Sorry you came up short, Junior. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that one's really flawed. I never really thought about that one as super flawed. But yeah, it is. Well, anyways, I'm done. (laughs) I'm Tucker David. Religion tires me out. But um, I don't know what what are some are there resources that people can kind of tap into. I mean, like for me, it's uh, I I like 
uh, Richard Dawkins' books and how, I mean, some of his books kind of uh, talks about, oh, well, one of his books is The God Delusion, but he has other books that are, are uh, kind of more scientific. And to me, I really enjoyed those because it really kind of puts uh, a good perspective of, you know, the world is, and nature is, is just fantastic. And it's not, it doesn't have to be created by some kind of designer. I mean, it, uh, evolution is a wonderful thing. And, um, and understanding it is uh, really helpful to kind of understand how we got here, how other animals got here. So uh, I, I recommend Richard Dawkins and his books. For once, I have no recommendations. I don't know. Me either. That's all you, Kenny. <laughs> oh, I, like, okay. like what? What would you re- like? How would you recommend something? I don't know. I know that they're out there. I just I don't have them at my fingertips to say, you know, read this particular book. It really influenced me because. I haven't read anything recently or can't conjure a memory of something that I say that's the definitive text. And you're a very scientific minded person. Yeah. So a book helps you. Yeah. I don't like a book would never help me. I don't think, well, it might, it might help me. I I should, I shouldn't say a book would never help me. Books help me lots of times, (laughs) but like, you know, with religion, books didn't help me. So I don't know what I would recommend. I don't know. Maybe documentaries and just watching everything you can. I really enjoyed, not all of it, but the first part of uh, Zeitgeist, where they depicted Jesus as the solar messiah and pointed out that there's several other solar messiahs that operated alongside mm-hmm. him before and after him. Bill Maher had a... Religious. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I really like that, that one. That was a good one. That was a lot of fun. That was a fun one. Yeah. I watch a lot of documentaries. I saw, like, Jesus Camp. That one was terrifying. <gasps> that is terrifying. Yes. I, that made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen a lot. I've seen I've seen so many documentaries about religious figures who have had a downfall, like those pastors who you know have wronged many children. Um, and those are really those are really sad. And yeah, there's a lot of different documentaries out there that you can go watch. Definitely go watch the Campolo film. That was a really good one. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, cool. So lots of resources for people to check out and. Uh, I assume most listeners on here are probably non-religious people anyway, so... We didn't offend <laughs> anyone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's really helpful for people, but at least maybe you can give it to a friend. So, anyways, well, thanks everyone for listening. Signing off. <laughs> See ya later. See ya. Bye. How do I usually start this? You just kind of... Uh, it's been too long. It's I know. Too long. Like... We skipped a month. Welcome to episode 24. Oh, damn it. <laughs> 25. <laughs>